Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. You know, I think I'm going to have to stop saying the whole, well, I never have guests on thing because it's not really the truth anymore. It historically has been, but I keep stumbling across multiple topics that I simply need to have another person on because I'm not arrogant enough to assume that I actually know everything about it. Well, you may be wondering why it is that I haven't done an episode thus far on the spring practices that have occurred via OTAs and mandatory minicamp for our Buffalo Bills, at least so far in the 2021 season. Well, there's a reason I haven't done that. And the reason for the season, yes, I use the pun, is because I wanted to kind of do a recap episode between the spring practices and before the long break that goes along with this summer dead time that leads up into training camp. And to do that, I thought it might be beneficial to talk to someone who, you know, was actually there at the time. And so because of that, I brought in friend of the show, Matt Perino from nyup.com and syracuse.com, one half of the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. Matt, thanks so much for being here, man. This is a real joy for me. Uh, I don't know if if your listeners know, but we go way back uh, to uh, the Nick and Nolan show, which I was always such a huge fan of. and everything that you've done over the course of the last couple of years, man, I've been following along. And it's so funny just sitting here listening to you do your intro. I have to ask you, the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, is that taken from a certain tag team from the D-Generation X uh, back in the WWE days? Or it is, is that your... Okay. Yes, it is. Um, it was not intended as that, but I wanted to come up with something because historically I have not done a great job of making sure that my energy level was really good. The first couple of times I did a solo podcast, whether that was a solo Nick and Nolan show or other things like that, I didn't think my energy level was really good. So I said, okay, I need an intro that brings the energy. I need something like a big top style. And then I thought back to that degeneration X, the road dog, Jesse James, the BA Billy Gunn, the new age outlaws. And I was not and am not a professional wrestling fan, but I have uh, I have friends who are and I'm aware of them. And I thought 
that's kind of a good intro. Get the energy level going, get the get the blood pumping, kind of start on a high note. Let's try that and modify that for the opening of the podcast. And that's just kind of how it happened, you know? I I absolutely love it. It always gets me pumped up lit whenever whenever I'm listening. And I usually like finish it out and I do the whole tag team spiel in my car or wherever I'm listening to. So I'm sure that there's a lot of your listeners that do the same. I mean, it's only fair. It's only fair. I've had people actually tell me that um, they actually listen to the entire intro of the Bruce exclusive. They don't historically listen to podcast intros, but mine's catchy enough that they listen to it. So I'll take that because it does have a tendency to be a little bit of a longer intro. And then, of course, you have the lovely pipes of Mrs. Nolan in the, <laughs> as far as the intro goes. And so I feel like, you know, you kind of have to stick around for Mrs. Nolan. So that makes sense. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. This is a type of pod that I simply cannot do without somebody who was there and whose eyes I trust. And we're going to talk a little bit about spring practices. We're going to talk about spring practices in general, like as a whole, and you reporting on them. And then we're going to dive into some of the things that have come out of these spring practices because there are storylines that come from observations. And specifically, the aggregation of those observations creates narratives that kind of linger through the slow parts of the summer. It's almost like what the topic of conversation is going to be like between the spring practices and summer is almost determined by some of the narratives that come out of spring practices. Um, those of you who listened to me last year and listened to the recap podcast that I did, I did not have the luxury of having someone with Matt's expertise on at the time. And, and because of that, I was kind of forced to just kind of do some observation aggregation. And I sang a little tune, but that was about all that I could give. But now we have someone who can actually give something more than that. So let's start with this. You do practice observations as does pretty much every beat writer who follows these practices. And these practice observations have a tendency to be a roller coaster for fans. People hang on the every word of the ups and downs. That was probably more significant back when there was a young quarterback who was unproven or when there's a quarterback competition. Obviously, Buffalo fans have been through lots of quarterback competitions, and every single day there was a new narrative based on who was good that day. So knowing full well that the emotions of the fan base are tied to every report on a player day in and day out, how does this knowledge affect how you choose specifically what I'm going to say, what I'm not going to say, how I'm going to word it, because you know, you've seen it swing back and forth as far, as far as public opinion goes based on the observations of the player on that day. If you know that, how does that influence how you say what you say? Like, I guess at the top, like I should say that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about how what I say is going to influence people because I base all of my reporting on one central, you know, practice. And that is just telling, being honest, telling the truth, you know, taking what I saw on the practice field, providing a caveat to whatever practice I'm watching, whether it's an OTA, a rookie mini camp, a, a, a mandatory mini camp, a training camp practice, a regular season practice. I like to provide some, whether it be via like my story or my podcast, give people an idea of what is happening and how you should, what kind of lens you should be using to look at this information. 
And I think that for the most part, it, amongst Bill's Mafia, I've found, as long as we're not talking about the Facebook discourse, which is a whole other universe altogether, <laughs> I've found that for the most part, there is just a general understanding of the seasons, right? The what time of year are you are we in? Are we in pads? Are we out of pads? Um, are we going half speed? I mean, a lot of the stuff I'm putting out there at Rookie Minicamp is basically just physical stuff like, you know, what am I seeing from Gregory Rousseau? Like, is that, you know, one of the things that Brandon Bean talks so much about in the draft process after the draft was, you know, Greg Rousseau's get off. And I could tell you right now, being out on the practice field, seeing it up close and personal, 10 feet away from him uh, on some of the sleds. Yeah. That get off is something that, you know, I watch football for a living. And so you're able to pick out little nuanced things like that. How does that translate to Sundays in September when they're going to be asking him to potentially pay 40 to 45% of the snaps? That's for you to be the judge of. I mean, if you're going to, if you're willing to take the, you know, what's being talked about at this time of year and extrapolate that out to actual football, I don't think that you're, you're doing this right. I think really what you want to see right now, number one, you want to hear what the coaches are saying about these players. So I try to really, this year in particular, I've really tried to supplement my coverage with a lot of what is being said about these players at all levels, whether it be rookies, veterans, you know, young players, whatever the case may be, go from there and then just take the literal what happened, convey that to people. And whether it be, listen, we all know there's there's people in camp, mini camp, training camp every year undrafted guys, lower round draft picks that pop, that don't ever really have a meaningful role on a football team. I think that that's something that that table has to be continually pounded with that type of fact in mind. But that doesn't take away from the excitement level for a team that's as stacked as, as the Bills. And even in the last two years, as good as they've been at times, to find potential diamonds in the rough, if you will, I mean, that's a big part of what could make what could bolster a football team? We've seen it, you know, over the years. I mean, look at two of you know some of the most successful quarterbacks in NFL history. Now the Bills have a quarterback now, so that's not really the position that we're talking about. But look at Tom Brady, look at Kurt Warner, guys that you know were never you know in the mix early on as potential future Pro Bowlers. I mean, fans still gravitate towards that process and finding those types of players at whatever the position is. So I just try to take what I see, offer it to you as honestly and truthfully and in the manner that I'm allowed to do it these days and go from there. So follow up to that. There's multiple things going on on the practice field at any given time. How do you decide where your eyes are going to be? Is it based on the players that you think the fans are going to want to know something about like you have Gregory Rousseau against the sled on your left and you have Mark Hens Stevenson, you know, shagging punts on your right. Where do you decide where you're going to observe? Because surely you can't see everything at all times. So you have to make calls. So how do you decide what I'm going to look at? The cool part is that I think the real bulk of what I'm there to observe happens in the 11 on 11 period, seven on seven periods where there's really nothing else to watch. You're just watching that. But if you're talking about individual work, the the thing is because of the, you know, the, the bills media mandate, we're not really allowed to report on anything special teams. So 
at the beginning of practice, there's always special teams work happening that we're not really allowed to convey any information from what's happening there. And I think that stems back to a report that came out on a punt situation during the 19 season. Uh, and then Sean McDermott kind of, and, and, and the bills as a whole, I shouldn't just say Sean McDermott uh, edited, gave out new media mandates that were a little bit stricter. And that special teams part is always stuck in there. And so if special teams is going on to be quite honestly with you, I try to use that time to kind of float around a little bit more. And mm-hmm. maybe right now, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, AJ Epinesa, they are at the top of the priority list when it t- comes to coverage of this team. Um, here's another piece. I think the offensive line is important too. There's a couple of young players on that. And I know I've gotten a lot of queries about Tommy Doyle, Spencer Brown, Jack Anderson. The problem is because of COVID, it's a little bit looser now. We can actually go along the the far end zones, along that whole um, walkway from, from the end of the one field to the other end of the second field. There's two fields on the practice uh, at the practice facility. Now, last year, we could only roam that one piece of track at the very back. Now we can kind of go uh, along the sidelines of the far field. So we can kind of make an L shape in terms of where we're able to walk, which helps. The problem is the offensive line individual work happens at the very far end away, uh, of the field away from that L. There's no good vantage point. So unless you're really able to carve out a spot with your binoculars, you're not really going to be able to glean too much. And really right now, you're not gleaning too much anyway. I'm really hoping that for training camp with all of the relaxed rules, and I know that a big portion of the media is vaccinated, so it'll be interesting to see um, once we get there what this actually looks like. But maybe we can actually go all the way around the track again, which will allow us to do a little bit more on the O-line. But in terms of what we look at, I kind of have a pri- like a uh, an unwritten priority list in my mind, you know, and it, and it changes from day to day. If I spend a lot of time on a Tuesday um, and I know that, or I'm thinking that we're going to have three days of practice. If I spend a lot of time on Greg Rousseau and the D line on Tuesday, I have that stored away and I'm going to work off of that on day two to try to bring people as much information and coverage as I can. So you got to be really nimble and you got to be able to kind of change on the dime on a dime, depending on what's happening that day of practice. So that's probably the reason we haven't heard anything about Marquez Stevenson stuff because the special team stuff can't be commented on anyway. Exactly. And the stuff that I can tell people about him, you know, there's been a couple plays. I think I could count two occasions in teamwork where he actually fell on a, on a route. I mean, just switching directions, not a lot of contact, just lost his footing. And, you know, some people had an issue with him not making my 53 man roster projection. And listen, Let's all also put a a June 53-man roster projection in its proper place. I mean, there's a lot of projection in that. But, you know, the stuff I've seen as a receiver, listen, I know special teams are important. This franchise, this this regime values that. But if you can't operate just at an average level at your core position, you're going to have a hard time making a stacked roster like this. So, you know, Marquez Stevenson – Listen, I think this period is great because you can kind of take a lot from this and kind of give yourself a six-week program. Okay, this is what I need to work on to hit the ground running at the end of July and so I can make an impression right away. And we have preseason games to go. There's so much that's going to happen. But those kind of little things, you know, set you back in this environment. You know, Sean McDermott talked about those 500 reps. 
that he was so passionate about losing last year. It, it plays a role. There, you make you make an impression in this time, even without pads, based on your work ethic. You know, limiting mistakes like repetitive mistakes, and some of that I just saw a little bit too much of from Stevenson. And also, I gotta say, I haven't been wowed yet with the speed that we heard so much about around draft time. And that's interesting because when you watch a player like Stevenson go up against a cornerback, there's a there's kind of a a zero sum game there with the Buffalo Bills playing against each other in eleven on elevens, which you said is a big part of what you're looking at and what you're observing. So given the fact that you have a good play by the defense, that might be a bad play by the offense and a good play by the offense. That might be a bad play of the defense. A lot has been made of the energy level and the progression in the defense this time this year versus this time last year when they were getting lit up pretty significantly. So knowing that it tends to be a zero sum game, how do you approach that with the way you report it? Are you viewing that as a good play by the defense? Are you viewing it a bad play of the offense? Are you viewing it as both? How do you decide, okay, so this receiver made this great play on a corner. Do I report that as a great play by the receiver, a bad play by the corner, both, neither? How do you look at that? Part of it, I think, you know, a lot of the big plays that we've seen happen have been interceptions uh, during this part of uh the year and i think that i try to you know put all four quarterbacks you know i kind of elevate them in terms of their level of play there's an advantage for a quarterback in these practices because there's no hitting it's kind of like a you know 70% some of the really higher intensity practices maybe closer to 80 or 90 i mean they're not going 100% in these in these drills and so if a quarterback makes a mistake, you got to report it for two reasons. Number one, a guy like Nick McLeod, an undrafted free agent cornerback who's making, you know, a splash with the way that he's played during, you know, OTAs and minicamp and then gets the shout out by Matt Milano, almost, you know, backing up a lot of the reporting that was done on how well McLeod has played. You know, that's significant. I mean, a guy like Matt Milano is just going to be his fifth year in the league. He's seen a lot of stuff in this league. He's not just going to you know, uh, randomly call a guy out, an undrafted guy, and talk about how well some of these, you know, younger players have played if it's if there's not a reason for it. And so I think that it's a good thing. It's it's a good thing if you're a team like the Bills who relied on their offense, who had a historic season last year, 500-plus points, and this just wasn't the defense that fans were used to. I think in a lot of ways – there's a chip on the shoulder of this entire group. And Milano also talked about it in the way that, you know, the the familiarity with that back seven and the fact that if you count Taron Johnson in the mix and you have to because he was on the field for most of it last year, they've played together now that back seven for the last three seasons. That That is unparalleled continuity. And so – you go back to the most recent memory on a football field where football was actually being played uh, against another team, and it's not a good one uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. And a big reason for that is this defense. And I think you could also place a big part of that blame on that back seven. So I think that they're they're a proud bunch, and they have a coach that has for a long time, I think, been pretty prideful in the fact that this defense has been able to carry 
the team. And they've always strived for, for the offense to catch up, but it's always been their identity in a lot of ways. And last year, that identity changed dramatically. So I think that it's where it should be. And I guess that's what I take away from it is that they're showing up in unbelievable numbers, full attendance in minicamp, and they're going at an offense that was one of the best in the league last year, and that's what they should be doing. Now, at the same time, Bruce, this offense, and I and I wrote this in a few of the stories, they're working on some stuff. I mean, they're getting, you know, Cody Ford's not healthy yet. He's still in a red non-contact jersey. Emmanuel Sanders has to, you know, find what his role is going to be in this team. I think a big question and storyline of training camp is going to be, who is that number two receiver? Is it Gabe Davis or is it Emmanuel Sanders? I think it's going to end up being Emmanuel Sanders. But on that one day when I wrote a lot about Josh Allen going three for 12 in what I charted with, an, with what a, you know could have been an interception that looked like it was offsides and just a couple of you know questionable throws, they were working on stuff. They were trying to figure out you know what each other like to do you know, when the, when, when the bullets are flying. And so I guess at the long story short here, it's May OTAs, it's June mini camp. And this is not what it's going to likely look like when we get to 53 man roster territory, but it's summer and we need something to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta have something to talk about. You gotta, gotta keep us warm during those, uh, those cool summer nights here for the next couple of weeks until we get to training camp. So you mentioned previously that there are restrictions as there were last year on the things that you can say about what you see at training camp and not being able to report specific things about personnel groupings, plays, depth chart items, who's running with what unit that constricts you a lot. So what do you consider to be items of note from practices that you say, okay, I'm allowed to say this, I can report this kind of stuff without crossing any lines. Like when you go in and you say, okay, qualitatively, I can say this guy did that. He played well. Like I'm allowed to say that, right? But what are some other things that you go in and go, okay, I'm allowed to say this, 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 and this, and I'm going to try and fit all my observations into these buckets because I'm cool saying those things. I'm allowed to say what happened on a play to a degree. I can't say what kind of play it was. Like, so if it's a screen pass or a wheel route or, um, you know, they don't, they don't want any strategic points um, where, where it could be game plan specific stuff um, reported on. Um, the, th- the stuff that you get, you know, really in the weeds with is wanting to talk about you know, the, what fans want more than anything is they want to know where guys are playing and they want to know where, you know, how, where Spencer Brown, is he getting any first team reps? Mm. I, I can't let you know. And that'll be a little bit more, you know, meaningful in training camp. But I asked Brandon Bean about this back at the, uh, um, at his last press conference. And I'm like, listen, you guys aren't going to St. John Fisher, which of course is a bummer because we all love that experience in Rochester and being around the fans and fans getting out there. But the bigger issue that, you know, I have just from my conversations with the fan fans are, are you going to have these same media guidelines for these practices that are not going to be open to the public that would have been if they were in, 
you know, long story short, yeah, it's looking like that's going to be the case. So you go from nine open practices to now potentially two, maybe three, it counting the red, white, and blue game, scrimmage game. And, you know, the fans are going to be really flying blind into those preseason games on a lot of these things. Now, there's ways to kind of, you know, figure things out, sleuth it a little bit. I mean, if the one thing we are allowed to do is we are allowed to talk about matchups. Like, so if a play happens and Josh Allen throws to Stephon Diggs and Tredavious White was in coverage, that's a, you can pretty much figure it out. You know, that was a first team rep and it was Stephon Diggs going for, a, you know, a, a, a catch against Tredavious White. And you can kind of deduce a lot of things that way. But I will say the game that we have to play and the, the, the fine line that we have to walk, it, it could be frustrating at times more than maybe anybody. I mean, I know it's frustrating for us as media members just from it's an extra layer to our job that we have to really be careful of. If you screw up in a, in a really bad way with this, your credentials revoked for the year. Like you won't be able to go to practices. So it's a really tricky thing. Um, but fan, I think it's a bummer for fans because, you know, I, I look at I look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I've really kind of looked looked into their media guidelines and there's nothing. I mean, anything that they see out of practice, they can report and they they just won a Super Bowl last year. So I don't know. I get it. It's a competitive advantage type of deal. Um, but I just think it's a bummer for a fan base that's starved for every last detail. I still can't believe the level of interest in the most mundane topics on this team in the middle of June, late June or the end of June here with no football, even on the horizon, really with a mo- over a month to go. It's, it's really un- unmatched. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Bill's fans are rabid. And you, I mean, can you possibly imagine two head coaches who take different approaches to media availability and things like that than Sean McDermott and Bruce Arians? I mean, I have a feeling that, you know, Bruce Arians could be anywhere in the in the league and his, you know, media availability would look pretty much like that. He's he's been very transparent from the very beginning. It's just kind of the way he is, as opposed to players uh, who play for Sean McDermott and players who play for Bill Belichick and players who play for other coaches who are very, very close to the vest, very tight lipped. And so I don't think we should be shocked by it by any means. But it is, you know, obviously it's disappointing that you don't get more information because of how much content can be generated and interest can be generated from, like you said, the most mundane thing. I mean, we, we don't think about it now, but at the time, the Bills fans had no idea Daryl Williams was rolling out of the starting right tackle. They did not know that was a thing until late. And so we don't really think about it now, but what other kind of, what other kind of surprises, you know, does Sean McDermott have up his sleeve for us? So that's, that's always really fun. Now, speaking of things that we can see, one of the things that we've seen was Mario Addison seems to have slimmed down a little bit. And when Boogie Basham said that his weight goal that was set by the staff was 260, and then you see Addison down weight, and you see A.J. Appenesa's journey from last year, it feels like this team selects the length, which is the trait that they can't adjust, and then controls for the weight, which is the trait that can be adjusted. Number one, when it looks when you look at pass rushers, do you think that's a fair assessment? That if you can get bigger people who are longer and you can cause them to lose weight, they keep the length. I mean, their arms don't get shorter when they lose weights, right? But you can also get, you know, a little bit more explosive. Number one, do you think it's a fair assessment on my part? And number two, do you think that that means we can expect a longer development curve on players like Basham 
than perhaps we thought because Basham coming in came in with a lot of experience and everyone just kind of expected he might actually have a bigger year one impact than Gregory Rousseau, who was viewed as being more of a project. Well, now when Basham says that he's not at his goal weight and he's going to have to do some body reorganization composition as well, that makes you wonder if maybe there's a longer development curve on Basham as well. So number one, do you think it's a fair statement that it looks like we're seeing a trend with the bills and being able to pick length and then adjust weight? And number two, do you think that that's going to give us a longer development curve on some of these other players like Basham? There's there's no doubt in my mind that they religiously believe in the traits and the stuff that you can't teach. I mean, the size, you know, with Rousseau especially and these two offensive linemen this year, I mean, they are – it was very – there's a confidence level – within this regime that they're able to take guys like that and mold them the way that they want. And I think it was built in a lot of ways with the success they had, you know, on the lines in Carolina. I mean, I feel like Eric Washington had this year one where, you know, it was, it seemed like all these pieces were aligning for a magical 2020, right? Eric Washington re um, connects with Sean McDermott Brings over Vernon Butler and Mario Addison before Star opted out. He was going to be in the mix. And, you know, this defensive line was going to be really good last year. And I I would say if you went position group by position group, that that the D-line was probably the most underwhelming on the team because of the expectations going into it. And so I think that as a group, there is just such – belief in their ability to develop players. And so now they doubled down on that belief in this draft with Rousseau and Basham. And I think it's a case by case thing about projecting what they can do. I think AJ Epinesa was more impacted by the funky offseason than he was with the body issues last year. That's just my personal opinion, because if you get him the reps that, you know, Boogie and Gregory Rousseau got, who knows if he's not hitting the ground, running a little bit quicker and maybe even assimilating to the pro game quicker than he did. I mean, there was a, it was a harsh reality without any games last year. Like you can't undersell this. Like you, you roll the ball out Week one in September, it's a regular season NFL game. And you have ask AJ Apinesa, who had no spring, a shortened training camp, no preseason to go play football. I don't care what the body looked like and what kind of issues were. He was going to struggle in that setting. And so does that mean that moving forward, that any type of player that they, they take as a young player and want to, you know, tinker with the body composition they're going to be in the same situation. I, I don't believe so. I think, I still think Boogie Basham can contribute. I still, even after hearing him talk about wanting to change things up a little bit there and, and maybe, you know, evolve his composition, I still have the same expectations for him as I did on draft night when people were talking about him being potentially a more pro ready player. The things that changed for me is what I've seen through five weeks of rookie camp OTAs and minicamp, has me believing, even without pads, that Greg Rousseau is going to be more impactful as a rookie than I think anybody 
anticipated. The one thing I think that could impact him early on and maybe getting off to a slow start is that conditioning. Can he really be in game shape as an NFL rookie after not playing football for a year? We'll find out. But as soon as he gets that figured out, I'm excited to see what he can do, particularly on the edge. I think he's going to be a much better edge player early than people even realize. Just judge based on hearing what Leslie Frazier has been talking about with him. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back and continue this conversation. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We are chatting with nyop.com and syracuse.com's Matt Perino, also one half of the Shout Buffalo Football podcast. Matt's been taking us through the spring practices that we have seen in regards to the Buffalo Bills and some of the things that make them unique and challenging in this particular environment. We have talked about what you can and cannot say. We have talked about how you decide what to observe. We've talked about Boogie Basham, Mario Addison, Gregory Rousseau. Let's talk receivers, Matt. The Bills have historically kept six receivers on the active roster, but they continue to be an 11 and 10 heavy personnel offense you can make an argument that they haven't had a receiver <laughs> that has made them justify keeping seven receivers. But with the Isaiah Hodgins hype coming out and having a strong opening to camp, we remain a little bit cautiously optimistic. We have seen big receivers who have played well in spring before and then completely faded when it came to the summer. But do you think there's an opening for a departure from the norm at that position when it comes to wide receiver, is there a possibility that the brass actually keeps seven this year? Because when I look around, I go, gosh, there are lots of people I probably don't want to lose on this roster. The wide receiver room has more depth and more talent than it's had. Do you think they keep seven? Do you think it's possible they keep seven? Or is it six just a rule? Like, we should just go ahead and put it in ink on our 53-man roster projections that they're keeping six. No, I don't think it's a rule, but I I really struggle with the numbers they like to have on both sides of the line. And in my projection, I had them keeping 10 D linemen for the first time under the, in the McDermott Bean era just because of the, the sheer talent they have there. And wanting to kind of position themselves to be nimble in how they try to improve that pass rush. If things aren't working, they have 
other guys they can look at and, and try different things and have more options for Leslie Frazier and Eric Washington. But, you know, it's in terms of the wide receiver position, why I think six makes the most sense is this, what we saw last year at no time were the bills ever unable to find talent and get them up to speed pretty quickly um, at that position. You know, you go back and look at Jake Kumaro, who they they add on their practice squad and get him up to speed pretty quick. He comes in and he works on special teams for a few days and then t- catches that big touchdown pass in the Broncos game. That's a guy that they've done that with. Uh, they had um, Kenny Stills, who never played a, a, a snap for them on offense last year, but had a guy that has played a lot of meaningful football in this league ready to go. And I think a piece of that is those guys that are like camp casualties or maybe those kind of Kenny stills down the road that maybe need a new start and they're cut three or four or given a chance to go find a new team halfway through the season. The bills are all of a sudden an offense that receivers want to go to. So if you have another position group that you want to keep an extra guy, you know, Stephon Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, and Isaiah McKenzie. That five right there, I'm putting McKenzie in the mix there. I I know some people might might balk at that, but I do think he's damn near a guarantee to make this team. And I'm just talking about what he does from an offensive perspective. The fact that Cole Beasley is a year older, and we're not even talking about all this other off-the-field stuff that's been happening the last couple of weeks, but Cole Beasley is not a young player. If he goes out, that role on this offense is super important. That's why I have a higher value maybe than most do on Isaiah McKenzie. Not to mention, I I do think he's the odds on favorite to win that, uh, the, the kick return, punt return, or some variation of one or the other, uh, just based on his experience alone. And so you take those five and then it's going to be a fun competition. You know, I saw one uh, you know, J- Jake Kumaro maybe could be a guy that makes that is that six receiver. Isaiah Hodgins obviously is the guy I had in that spot, and then you have Marquez Stevenson is he, if he's able to really make an impact this summer in the preseason. But I think six six just makes a lot of sense because it's a position that at the top you're talented and you know that whatever talent is available out there, whether you lose the guys that you're cutting or not. You're gonna probably be able to get some some level of talent back in the building that you're confident in and that you have a proven ability to develop. I was going to ask you about defensive linemen and whether or not you think that they would keep ten as a follow up to that, but you already mentioned that that was part of your fifty three man roster, and it feels like F A Obada is the guy that would cause them to keep ten. Am I crazy, or would that be the reason they would keep ten? Yes, he is on. He is. He has made, in my opinion, and honestly, the combination of Obada, Boogie, and Rousseau with their skill sets, more so Obada and Boogie, they've made Justin Zimmer. It's just going to be too tough for him to make the roster, in my opinion. And because I think if you cut a Justin Zimmer, is another team going to sign him? Probably. But. There's a chance that they don't, and because of his size, that's a that's another thing that I don't think we talk enough about is that there's a size profile for the interior of this Bills offensive line that continues to befuddle Bills Mafia as a whole, media and fans alike. I mean, I've been surprised at their 
lack of urgency at adding bulk, whether it be in the draft or free agency. I mean, getting star back is great, but even star is kind of an undersized guy for what he does. Typically, uh, Vernon Butler's, you know, I think if you look at the depth chart or the roster, he's the heaviest, I would say it. I think he's like three thirty, but he's not, he's not really great in that role either. He's not really great at any role, but it, particularly space eating, taking on those double teams, creating for his teammates. That hasn't really been his strength. He backed up star when they were both in Carolina as a young player, but he's evolved and had his most success as a pass rusher, you know, two years ago in Carolina. And so I think that Obadah, if you go back and look at his success last year, five and a half sacks, which would have led the Bills. Most of that damage came from the inside. And so I think that that's going to be interesting to see how they utilize him if he does make the roster and how they break all of this up because I do have a hard time. And listen, there's a lot of things baked into this that I can't talk about that would really provide clarity on my 53-man roster. But I just, I guess I'll just say that. Go check out the 53-man roster and just know that I wish I could tell you more. <laughs> and I think that... You know, that special teams thing that you just mentioned you can't talk about earlier in this podcast, a lot of us who are doing 53-man projections, a lot of us would have a lot more context if you were allowed to talk about special teams because it is a big part of the bottom of the roster decisions. If you see people running first-team gunner, running first-team returner, you know, you see them on punt and kick and all these things, you go, okay, well, that person's going to be more valuable. Initially, when Bam Johnson made the roster, we didn't we didn't know why. And then we saw him as a four-phase special teams player. And we're like, okay, well, now we know. And so that's valuable context that you're just you're just not allowed to give us. So that completely makes sense. One of the things that I always think is funny, and I keep this stat around for fun, because I do think that not just Bills fans, but everyone has a tendency to do this. They're always afraid of cutting people that they won't get through to waivers. In 2019, 33 waiver claims occurred which involved 1,184 players being waived or released. 2.7% of players were claimed by another team. So one out of 50 gets claimed by another team. So it just doesn't happen that often. So we have a tendency to overvalue our own players who get cut for fear that they're going to get scooped up. And it just, it just doesn't happen all that often. So we probably should take that and use that to kind of pacify ourselves. So as I get into this next question here... I know that this is a more normal offseason. It's not normal yet, but it's more normal after 2020's logistically awkward offseason. And you get to see coaches that are more hands-on with players than they were last year. How much impact, now that you've seen 2020 and you've seen 2021, part of it anyway, how much impact do you think 2020 had on the development curves of younger players? You mentioned it with AJ Epinesa. You said, I don't think it's the weight as much as it was 2020, how significantly do you think that that impacted some younger players' developments? Is this a scenario where you think another offseason that's more normal, like this one, can they get caught up? Or do you think you have to adjust your expectations for a while because of a lost offseason? Honestly, I think what it showed is it's a case-by-case basis and different players need have different needs when it comes to development. Because... You take AJ Epinesa as a case, and in a, in a in a maybe a smaller way, Zach Moss, who really, to be fair to him, was never really able to get any momentum going. I mean, he was banged up last year twice, and when he did get 
back healthy after the toe when he started feeling better. He had a game or two where he looked pretty good. But I think for the most part, you know, again, a big ask for him. But then you take a look at Gabriel Davis and the success that he had. You can make an argument that his role was very unique in that there was never any pressure on him to perform. And so everything that he did was kind of like icing on the cake of that offense. Um, but seven touchdowns as a fourth round draft pick in an offense where get, you know, John Brown went healthy, Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley are eating up most of that target share. It's impressive. And then I think the most unbelievable example of, you know, maybe not needing all of that, you know, May and June work is Dane Jackson, or maybe what could he have been if he got that? And so, yeah, I think it it matters for some people. And I think that, you know, Dane Jackson is an interesting case in that he had a very small sample size of the success he had too. I mean, that's the caveat, right? Mm. He wasn't out there for, you know, 800 snaps. And so you got to see him really with a larger sample size. You know, I think everybody really liked what they saw in the small sample size, whatever it was, 300 snaps or uh, around thereabouts, 250. And I think that now the coaching staff can take the experience of coaching staffs around the NFL, not just the Bills, not having that, what they did in lieu of that and what they missed from it and make this period. It's one thing that I think we should have been asked of Sean McDermott, maybe Leslie and Brian the last couple of weeks that I'm planning on asking them now at, at training camp. So I'm glad I went on the show is what did you learn from not having this last year that you implemented this year that now you feel more confident going into training camp that maybe you hadn't in years pa- past, even after having that period uh, in the spring. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I'd love to hear them ask that because doing an entire offseason, mostly virtually, makes you realize or wonder or figure out what can be done certain ways, what can be done better, what we should we prioritize, what are some things we missed the most that we didn't realize we were going to miss it. Is this one of those, you don't know what you got till it's gone scenarios, and we really need to focus on this when we finally get back to you know, hands-on with the players more often. Um, I was frantically searching while you were talking. I was frantically searching to try and find the person who gave me that statistic about the 2.7% of players actually ended up getting picked up. It was Greg Tomsett, uh, co-host of the Cover One Buffalo podcast. So I just really want to just kind of fit that in there so I can make sure I give credit because I was scrambling to find where I came up with that, uh, that statistic. So last question, and I'll get you out of here. A l- big part of the conversation thus far in the spring has been the play of the defense. And we talked about it a little bit earlier. And what is your opinion of where the defense is at at this point in the 2021 offseason and in the spring before the summer happens versus where they were at at this same point last offseason? And if there's a difference in your mind, to what do you attribute it? We talked a lot about energy. There was a lot of discussion about energy and how they were flying around, dog mentality. They were really getting after it, the defense. Is it really that simple? Is there a, a, a just people are healthy? W- why do we think, if you do think the defense is farther along this year than they were this time last year, what do you think is causing that? I think it's it's twofold. And again, this isn't like, I, I think we could dive more into this with some of the vets. I mean, Micah Hyde's always awesome with his time. And um, 
I think he did have a quote on this. I'd have to bring it up because I can't remember it. I've, I've written too much now at this point over the course of the spring, but I think it's twofold. I think number one, there's a level of swagger that comes with knowing who you are as a defense and also what you're rolling into this season with last year. Like, Talking to all these guys during training camp last year, like Jordan Poyer, and Micah Hyde's that we've, you know, we've gotten to know, and you know they're they're pretty forthcoming. There's always been a sense of confidence in what the offense was building, you know, during the Josh Allen, you know, development and ascension. But I don't think that they really ever knew it was going to reach the heights that it it did. I don't think anybody could have predicted that. Like, I mean, a record breaking, record book smashing season. Everything worked. I don't care, you know, and maybe they did. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but to actually see it play out the way that it did, you got to be sitting there and saying, if things go right, we've already done this at a high level. Hearing Micah and Jordan talk about the importance that Star brings to this defense, I think it's going to, it's going to create confidence at so many different places for Tremaine Edmonds in the run game, for Ed Oliver as a pass rusher. For the secondary, in a sense that Star doing his job allows guys like Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, who's now on a one-year prove-it deal. He restructured this deal. This year's guaranteed. But if he wants another contract, he is going to have to eat this year. And I know a lot of fans think that he's going to be a guy on the roster bubble. I'm not so sure. I think he's back to rectify what happened last year. He's coming healthy. He's coming ready. He's training. He looks pre- – I mean, I follow him on Instagram and I've seen some of his videos and I know that's just Instagram and you know how much can you take away from that. I think it's overall a swagger that this defense is going to be able to raise its level of game to a championship level, the same level that this offense played at for most of last season. That's number one. Number two, I think they just – don't when you see a couple of your buddies that you knew, whether it be in college or back in high school, and you guys get together and you're cooking steaks and you're having beers or whatever you do when you meet up, right? The guys that you've known the longest, it's it's easy. It's you don't think about it. You just you have a way about you as a group, and that's what I think happens here now. There's so many guys that have been here for so long. And there's so many established relationships and connections. It's a big reason why I think all this vaccination distraction or potential distraction won't really be a problem for this group long-term because of those bonds and and the chemistry that they've built over these last four years. And so I think it's just the energy comes from being around each other all these years, knowing each other and thinking that going into a year where this offense should be... arguably better than it was last year there's this defense the only way where only place it has to go is up and so they're hyped about it rightfully so first off bold of you to assume that i have buddies i get together with and eat steak and drink beer um that's <laughs> it's like i i appreciate you thinking highly of me enough to think that i have buddies that i do that with but uh well, well- I can only speak from experience because I know Bill's Mafia will be jealous, but I have actually met with Bruce exclusive, Bruce Nolan, had beers, had pizza, some great pizza. And so, yeah. 
So yeah, just just you better make sure that your you know your 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 Wi-Fi is password protected because the FBI is coming for you now, Matt. That is. <laughs> now that they know, now that they know that you've you you've seen Bruce. So I do find it really odd, and I find it really funny that there is a possibility that the Bills roll out ten of the eleven starters on defense are exactly the same this year as last year. The one who is different is the quietest person in the locker room who Josh Allen said, said like four words the entire year. And that's Starla Tule. And yet all of a sudden the energy level with the defense is crazy high. You just add the quietest guy to the defensive mix. And all of a sudden the energy is really high. I recognize that's not necessarily a cause and effect. I just find that funny, Matt. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for taking the time. This is not a pod I can do without you. So thank you so much for being the pivotal part of making this work and for everything that you do for Bill's Mafia. Why don't you just make sure that you let everybody know where they can find your work, what you got going on, and what's coming down the pike, not only at NYUp and Syracuse.com, but also on the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. Well, thank you for having me on, uh, my friend. Uh, you've been on our show uh, multiple times, and I, I, I've I've been patiently waiting to return the favor. You do a hard deal in this world uh, it, that we uh, live in. Uh, Bill's uh, podcasting, the solo pod is, you know, I, I've done it. I've done it live. I've done it not live. It's I, I do enjoy having uh, Ryan, uh, and we got the shout deal going. You could find that on um, YouTube is the best place to watch it live. Uh, Buffalo Bills on NY Up is where you want to search. Find me at Matt Perino on Twitter and the feed will provide you all of the content. It's the best place to find us. Appreciate you for having me on, buddy. Hey, thanks for being here, man. And for all of you out there in the pod universe and Bills Mafia and football fans at large, I leave you with this. In case you were wondering, If you were going to get any particular strategic info from Mr. Perino today, I hate to say it, guys, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.